have a lot of guests today. Today we get to baptize 10 young people here in the house. Isn't that awesome? And uh, so I know that uh, uh, many of you I have not probably haven't met or shook your hand. I'm, uh, I'm Billy Graham. Okay, no. He's with the Lord. I'm jealous of him more than ever. Um, I'm Ken Kramer, and uh, I serve this great house, and we're excited that you're here today. And I want to welcome all the moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas and aunties and uncles and everybody that's here to celebrate uh, a great day uh, to uh, watch kids uh, and young people follow the Lord in water baptism. So um, so we're, we're going to get into the Word here at Lighthouse, just so uh, you're aware, just so you can kind of... Um, run with us today. Um, if we're not your normal cup of tea, uh, we're, uh, we're talking today about uh, worship. We're talking about worship unmasked. We're in part four of a series that I'm doing on uh, said worship. And uh, so Pastor Daniel mentioned the notes. There are notes around you. There are also uh, electronic notes. So if you have a version app on your phone, um, you can follow along, go into the events section, and uh, the, all the notes are there. All the announcements are there. Um, we have folks that work hard to make all that stuff happen so that you have the convenience of it on a Sunday morning. And uh, by the way, didn't the worship team do a great job today? Didn't they do a fantastic job? Praise God. Um, you know, we are, we have just, dis- we have discovered here at Lighthouse, we are better together. And so uh, we're so glad that you're a part of this house. And thank you so much for all of those that um, put their hand to the plow, as Pastor Daniel mentioned a moment ago, and make things happen on the teams and, uh, and are part of the groups around here at Lighthouse. So we're going to get into the Word in just a minute. Uh, We're going to talk today about how your worship changes the atmosphere. Now, we don't often think about atmosphere a whole lot. I'm not here to talk about climate change. Um, I'm talking about uh, spiritual, the spiritual dimension of the atmosphere that we're here to talk about today. Now, I'm also at this unique stage. I'm counting down the days until my middle daughter, Alyssa, gets married. She gets married on the 22nd, which is a Sunday, and that day I will not be preaching I am going to be the father of the bride. All right? So, uh, so uh, Pastor Daniel will be bringing the word that day. Just wanted to let you know. But I, 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 do, I do feel like, you know, I'm, it's all in the feels right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm like having to figure out what song I'm going to, uh, Alyssa and I, she, so she sent me her suggestions. We're going to meet in the middle somewhere in there on what the song is, the father-daughter dance kind of thing. But it is making me uh, nostalgic. Now, I've never had real conversations with guys who are walking through what I'm walking through right now. To, so I didn't really know what to expect. And so here it is, like, ta-da, you know, I did it once a couple years back. My oldest got married. My middle daughter, uh, well, she's my middle daughter. You know what middle children do? Whatever they want. They do whatever they want. Middle, middle children just do whatever they want. And, uh, and so, uh, so it's, but it's got me thinking about moments that I've spent with Alyssa. And so in 2006, let me tell you about a moment that Alyssa and I had. 2006, we were on a, about a three-week trip to China and Tibet. And uh, so we were in Beijing. We'd been there a couple of days getting adjusted to the food, getting adjusted to the noise, getting adjusted to all that. She's 10 years old. Did I say that? 10 years old. And so we're, we're, uh, we're learning things. And what I found about Alyssa is that she was, uh, she was good after 24 hours. The first 24 hours was a bit emotional. Uh, first 24 hours was kind of like, but after 24 hours, she ruled the roost, man. She just took over. And, uh, and so we were in Beijing and we're sitting there about to go on up to Tibet. And Mark Geppert sat down with us and he began to talk to us about the atmosphere 
in Tibet. Now, he was talking about the actual physical atmosphere, the air. Uh, and he said, now, every plane cabin is pressurized at 5,000 feet. So uh, when you're in that plane, you, you're, you're dealing with, uh, with air pressure and, and with the volume of air. Oxygen levels are at about 5,000 feet. When we land in Lhasa, Tibet, we will be at 10,000 feet. So the atmosphere will have 40% less oxygen than what you're used to. He's telling us about an atmosphere we've not experienced because we're about to experience a change. He says, now what happens when your brain tries to make sense of 40% less oxygen is fight or flight. Your brain is trying to make sense of your breathing just like you always breathe, but you're not getting the same results. And so he began to talk to us, and I'm like, yeah, 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 I was a runner. I'm, this is cool. I got this. Ain't no big deal. You know, you don't even think about it. And then as soon as the plane door opens, the acclimation begins in the cabin, and you're still not really bothered because you're sitting still. But as soon as I started walking off the plane and walked up my first flight of steps, I felt like I, one, either gained about 75 pounds or two, was about 30 years older than I was. I could take about three steps and I had to stop, catch my breath, wait a couple seconds, and then take three or four more steps. What is the deal? This is not right. Is something wrong with me? All these kind of thoughts coming. Now, if I hadn't been briefed, if I hadn't been told this is what's going to happen to you, you're going you're, you're gonna to lose your, your, your wind. You're going to struggle over things that were easy, you know, things that were uh, simple at zero, uh, you know, sea level. Here we are, right, in Gloucester. Half the time we're underwater, right? So we know sea level. And, uh, and, and so now I'm at 10,000 feet above and things just don't function the same way. And so uh, fortunately, after 24 hours in Lhasa, we found a coffee shop that had cinnamon rolls, Woo! and American coffee. We were kind of getting our feet back under us, and then we went on up to 14,000 feet. It was a whole nother deal there. We had people, you know, you wouldn't think it would take you three minutes to get up two flights of stairs, but it's a whole different atmosphere. We had people that had to have oxygen at night, altitude sickness uh, setting in, people, uh, you know, I won't go into it. The atmosphere makes all the difference. The atmosphere makes all the difference. Now, well, I'm going to talk to you today about how the importance of worship can set the atmosphere. And we're going we're gonna to look at some scriptural areas uh, where, the, where the presence of the Lord came into the room and caused the atmosphere to shift. You just need to know that if you come from a, maybe a mainline church or a traditional uh, church setting, you'll hear about God is here, God is everywhere, that there's the omnipresence of God. God, God's everywhere all at once. He is that. You might hear about the closeness of God, the, the imminence, the, the intimacy that you can have with God. But we here at Lighthouse, we believe that God actually does inhabit the praises of his
his people. We believe that he is close in the atmosphere, can be thick with the presence of God. We're going to talk about that from the Bible. And so, uh, so when, when we look at it from the Bible, you need to realize that the Bible, uh, the Bible when, when the Bible was written, it didn't shut off all miraculous events. The Bible was written to prevent excesses when miraculous events happen. To keep everything in line, right? And, and so we're going to talk about some miraculous events as it relates to the presence of God. Let's get into uh, the scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. We're going to do 13 and 14. And at Lighthouse, we like to read the word aloud. So if you will, uh, read out loud with me as I go. And uh, the person next to you is not reading, poke them and get them started, okay? Um, so let's go. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Now, this is an amazing uh, uh, spot in history. When Solomon's temple had been built, there had never been anything like Solomon's temple. It was ornate. It was massive. Uh, you know, it, it took a lot of David's fortune plus a lot of what Solomon could put together. It was an expensive building project. And this thing was built, and it was set so that people could walk into it and just feel the, the, um, the, uh, the amazing stature of the living God. Have you ever been in a building that just made you feel small? You ever been in a, maybe some of you have traveled and you've been to cathedrals that were massive and you saw the, the stained glass and it caused you to feel a certain way. Or when you looked at the, uh, the architecture and you thought how ornate it was and you say, man, that's amazing. You look at the craftsmanship and you're just elevated somehow. You say, man, that's amazing how they put all of that together. Well, Solomon's temple was amazing in its structure and in its stature. But what was unique about this moment was its dedication. It was dedicated to the presence of Almighty God. And the way they dedicated it to the presence of Almighty God was, first of all, the, the, just before this, there was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of blood that was shed, the, the bulls and, and the goats and everything that was shed. And then they, would, they came together and they began to worship the living God. And as they worshiped the living God, they, they had one song, The Lord is Good, and his love endures forever. That was their song. They lifted their voice singing one part of that song. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. And it says the trumpets were playing and the stringed instruments were playing. Everything was going. And the presence of God filled that place. How many of you have ever experienced the presence of God in your life? In a, in a way that was tangible. In a way that was so big. You said, man, this is unmistakable. Show of hands. Go ahead. Presence of God. You know, uh, Holly and I went to Valley Forge. She went from here, and I went from where I was, and that's actually where we met. But I remember chapel services, one in particular. We had a missionary by the name of Mark Buntain come in, and he was a missionary to India, um, had a 200-bed hospital there, raised millions of dollars to run that hospital in India, um, but led tons of people to Jesus throughout the whole process. And Mark Buntain was a big man. 
And he wasn't a great speaker. For somebody to raise millions of dollars, you would think they're pretty polished. He was not polished at all. But let me tell you what he did. He carried the presence of God with him. And I remember a chapel service with Mark Buntaine, like it was yesterday. And I can remember what he said. He said, I was born a fire-baptized Methodist. You could say, I had the Holy Ghost with my cornflakes. ha, <laughs> ha. And then he paused. And then he said hallelujah six times. And nothing else do I remember from that morning except the glory of the Lord coming into the room and filling it from the top down. We have a hazer back here. We can fill this room with, with haze. They don't want to let me call it smoke because it ain't smoke. It's haze. They're purists about that. But can I tell you that the glory of the Lord came in from the top down and began to fill the room and students fell on their faces and we laid in the presence of the Lord for about three hours. It was a repeat of what we just read. And you know what happens when you encounter the presence of God is that it creates a high watermark in your life and you say, I know there's more. You come to worship I hope there's more. I'm looking for the more today. When you, when you come, it gets your hopes up because you've experienced the presence of God. And I've had numerous seasons in my life, numerous times, numerous moments that I would look at and I would say, God, this is why, this is why I do what I do. I'm here for your presence. Because he brings the why with him. When the presence of the Lord shows up, he brings the why. This is why. We have no one in heaven but him, right? What's heaven going to be about? Yeah, there's going to be streets of gold. Yeah, there's going to be a, 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 a gate made out of one pearl. It's going to be amazing, all of that kind of stuff. The why is Jesus. The why is the presence of God, right? And, and so here the, the, in this passage you find that the people worshiped God's glory filled the place, and the priests were immobilized by the weightiness of God's glory. They could not do their work. Can I, let, let me just uh, put something in perspective here. When we, prior, worship is always priority over work. Worship is priority over our work because God is always worthy of praise. God is preeminent above our works. When we learn to give worship to God, it sets our pride where it needs to be. Oftentimes, we can get proud about our works, can't we? You know, yeah, yeah, you cut that. It, it, isn't it amazing how I cut that grass? That grass is just, man, it's just, the lines are just right and everything's just so. I can joke about that because I am like the, not the yard guy. Okay, I appreciate people who are yard people, but you know, but you know, we could get pride in, in, in the work of our hands, no matter what it is. You know, we could say, I did that, I did that, look at what I did, look at what I did. Worship doesn't allow us to do that. Worship is when we see God for who He is and what He has done. And when we do, when we worship the way God wants us to, He says, Let me show up and let me put my hand on this thing. And then the works, the priests who were given all kinds of things that they needed to do, they were not able to do their work because of the weightiness of the glory of God. God wants his, his presence to fill the atmosphere of your life in such a way that his fingerprint is always on your life. Always on your life. Always on your work. 
He wants to impress people, not with you, but with himself. And a lot of times what, what, what happens in our lives is that we, we feel like, well, it, you know, if it is to be, it's up to me. Um, I'm going to have to be the one to toot my own horn. I'm going to have to be the one to pr- promote myself, you know. We, and a lot of times we miss what God wants to do. His presence will carry us if we'll learn to prioritize his presence. So worship is of primary importance because God is supreme over every other pursuit. When we prioritize worship, he inhabits our worship in a tangible way. Now, we're going to get into our, that was all introduction. You doing good? You hanging in there? Genesis 18. The, the word says, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. We're going to talk about Abraham for a minute because we are all children of Abraham. Did you know that? We are children of Abraham's faith. Abraham can't receive his reward until until after the rapture because Abraham's reward is still accumulating. Think about that. His reward is still accumulating. He is a man of faith that followed the voice that said, come out from your house, from your father's house, from your country, and go to the place that I will show you. And Abraham's reward is wrapped up in his kids. And so Abraham's kids are still multiplying on the earth. And so he's not going to see the fulfillment of his reward until all of us are gathered together, and then Abraham's going to receive his reward. Now, what was unique about Abraham? Wherever Abraham went, he built altars and he dug wells. Say, build an altar, dig a well. Build an altar, dig a well. Build an altar, dig a well. Abraham lived in a tent. And the Bible says he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And so his entire life, he lived in a tent. And God said, you know, he, God talked to him and he said, I want you to go and I want you to walk around the land that I'm going to give to your kids. And so, and I won't do it this morning because we're on live stream. It's hard for the camera to chase me. But, you know, if it was the old days, I would walk all the way through this building and I would walk around. And Abraham would stop wherever he was and he would pause and he would build an altar and he'd call on the name of the Lord and he'd worship the Lord and he'd set up some stones to remember about where he was at. He'd build an altar. He'd worship God. If he was going to settle there for a while, he'd dig a well. And he'd dig a well because, well, that was practical. He needed to dig a well so that all of his flocks and all of his people could drink from the water. And and so then he would move on from there as the Lord directed him. And he would go and he'd build another altar and he'd dig another well. There's about eight of those that you find in the Old Testament. If you follow Abraham around, it's an amazing story about Abraham's altars. Why is that important for us today? Because the way that Abraham ordered his children after him had to do with encounters that he had with God. And the promise was only going to be fulfilled to Abraham if he led his children correctly. You and I have a responsibility to create an atmosphere around our kids that they can encounter the living God. This is not just about you. The promise of God to you involves your family. It involves your kids. 
You could be a person that, uh, that says, God, I want you to use me, but I, I'm, I'm not very good at, at public speaking. I'm probably not going to win a lot of souls. I'm not very good at this. I'm not very good at that. But you know what? You can order the atmosphere of your home. And God can raise up world changers from your living room, from your dining room table. God will do a work in their life, and you will live on. You will live into the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. Abraham, right? Abraham walks, and he prays, and he builds, uh, he builds stone altars are not really impressive to look at, and he digs wells, but his family is following him, and they're picking up on what it is that God wants to do. So you and I, today, when we, when we think about what it is that God's called us to do, we're called to create an atmosphere. Um, number one, God's promises manifest in our lives because worship creates an atmosphere for them to be fulfilled. Worship creates an atmosphere for the promises of God to be fulfilled. The, the question is not, what can I get God to do for me? The question is, what kind of a person do I need to become for God to do for me everything he wants to do? What kind of a person do I need to become in order for God to bless me? What kind of a person do I need, what kind of a man do I need to be to get a really amazing wife? What kind of a woman do I need to be to get a man uh, in, in my life that uh, is going to look after me? What kind of a person do I need to become? You create the atmosphere where God can do for you what he wants to do for you. But if you don't worship, if you're not a worshiper, if you're a, you know what, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather just stay in my head, or I'd just rather stay on the internet, or I'd just rather stay in entertainment. I'd rather be all about that. That's where I'm going to put my time. That's where, you know what, that's forming you into a particular kind of person. Is that, is that the particular kind of person that God can bless? God wants to cause a worship atmosphere around you. He, he's looking for you to create that space where Jesus is Lord, where Jesus is allowed to rule and reign. I wish you were here. We'd have a good time talking about this. God promises, God's promises manifest in our lives because worship creates an atmosphere. The Lord would be able to reveal his ways to Abraham. Divine revelation is made possible as we worship. How many of you, you, you know what I'm talking about when you say, man, I, I heard the Lord speak to me the other day about something. God gave me some encouragement about something I was dealing with. God gave me an idea the other day that I hadn't thought before. And you know, you'll find as you worship the Lord, those things come more readily. I wouldn't trade anything in the world for those first one or two hours in the morning that I'm just, a lot of times I'm just walking and praying, you know, whether it's, uh, whether I'm walking, whether I'm running, whatever I'm doing, I'm just in my, I'm in my, my zone, I'm in my time with the Lord, creating an atmosphere of worship. And, and so when you'll do that, God will begin to speak to you. God will begin to work in your life. Number two, when we worship, we discover God's ways because he reveals himself and his wisdom only in an atmosphere of worship. We've got to be people that are willing to lay down our way of doing it and pick up what he wants done. Some of us say, well, you know, Pastor Ken, I'm not really a good singer. I'm not really, I'm, you know, music's not my thing. I'm more, into, I'm more into sports or I'm more into my hobbies. I'm more into this other thing over here. You know what? It's not really about what you're into. It, it's about uh, recognizing that God wants to, he wants you to encounter him. 
And so, you know, what you've got to learn to do is put kind of some training wheels on your worship. And the best way to do that is to do it in secret. Do it in private. Do it when nobody's around. Your, your, your mind is not distracted by how you sound. Your mind is not distracted by what somebody's going to think. And so you learn to worship in secret. Isn't that what Jesus said? Go to your father who is in secret. And then he'll reward you openly. This is not about what people think about you. It's not about your, your worship service at, at the corporate level. It's about you getting to know your father and worshiping him. Come on, somebody. You getting to know the, the living God. You getting to know the one who purchased your life. A lot of people are fine with uh, just having enough relationship with Jesus to know that I'm going to heaven. But they don't want heaven to inhabit their daily life. They're busy doing their own thing. Can I tell you, if you'll learn to be a worshiper, God will show you how, how good life can really be because he'll begin to unpack things to you. Psalm 25 says it this way, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, who put their trust in his unfailing love. This is what you have when you see, uh, when you see Abraham. Do you remember the, in, in uh, Genesis 18, the Lord comes down with two angels and they're about to go wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's walking by Abraham's house. And he says, shall I hide from the Lord what I'm about to do? God is about to judge a city. Wipe it out. And he stops to have a conversation with a man. And he has this conversation among the angels. Should I tell him or should I not tell him? What kind of a man? Does God stop and talk about his judgments with? What kind of a man does God pause and say, hey, if you got a minute, I'm going to tell you about things that are going to shift the, the, the world, I'm, that are going to shift the cities, that are going to shift around. I'm going to talk to you about this. What kind of a man is that? But the Lord already knows Abraham well enough that he says he's going to become a great nation because he's going to order his children after him. Abraham understood how to create an atmosphere where he would worship the living God. So when we worship, we discover God's ways. We discover God's ways. Number three, when we worship, we declare his deeds to the next generation. God's promises are not only for us, but for the people in our care. God gave you a testimony. Touch your neighbor, say, you got a testimony. God gave you a testimony. We, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the what? The word of our testimony. God gave you a testimony. He has been revealing himself in your life. Your life is a written, uh, is a living epistle, a written book, right? Your life is an open book that people get to read, right? And so wherever you go, you are declaring God's glory. I could be at Walmart. I'm declaring God's glory. I'm standing there. We could be on aisle five. If you tell me that you got a, uh, you know, you need healing, we're going to pray on aisle five. Masks on, antennas up, and we're going to worship the living God. Jesus, we need a download of healing on aisle five, right? Your, your life is a, is a testimony. It doesn't matter where you're at. You, 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 wherever you go, you are a portable worship center. Wherever you go, you carry the presence of God with you. And it's important, you know, that our kids learn to understand that about us, you know. And some of them, I know they're cringing when I'm talking about this because I'm, mom and dad, I'm about to encourage you to be weird. 
I'm going to say it's okay to be weird. Right? I, somebody said, I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? If I look foolish, it's for the Lord's sake. Now, I'm not going to be looking foolish just to look foolish. But if, uh, but if my obedience makes me look foolish, then okay. I got to be obedient, right? We must obey God rather than men. You know, And so the sharing of the story, the sharing of your testimony, the sharing of how you came to God, the sharing of how God has done a work in your life, you need to communicate that. You know, one of the things that I'm looking forward to about Legacy Springs is that we have tribe writers that are in this congregation that are going to go over and sit and listen to the seniors over there and write their memoirs. I, I, I imagine, I just imagine that there are going to be God stories coming out of those seniors' lives and their testimonies of God's power, their testimonies of God's grace, the things that he wants to do, the thing that he did, and, and that is gonna, it's gonna encourage other people's faith. How many of you love to hear good testimonies? Man, I, I could just sit for hours and listen to people talk about the Lord. One of my favorite uh, people in my life was Goldie Kaiholtz, my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was an amazing cook, but she was an amazing believer. Now, I, I hear stories. I know she was not as easy to live with for the kids as she was for the grandkids. How many grandparents are there in the house? Yeah, man, I'm just, I'm new to this thing. I, I, if, if, I don't know if the honeymoon ever wears off. I don't want it to. I don't care. I hear, you know, from people that got some miles on them, they say, yeah, grandkids. They're grand when they come, they're grand when they go. Um, uh, right now, right now, I'm not feeling the grand when they go. It's only they're grand when they're, you know, it's cool. And, uh, and so my grandmother, she talked about Jesus all the time. And, uh, and so one of the amazing things about her was a story that she told, uh, and I still remember it. She was telling me, story, and this is, I think, even before I came to the Lord. Her brother's name was Lester, and uh, Lester had come back from, uh, from a war, as I recall, and he had his discharge papers in his back pocket. Uh, so note to self, don't file important papers in your back pocket. And so he was out, and, and they had a horse-drawn plow, and they were plowing. He was plowing about 20 acres. And so uh, Graham tells a story about how Lester got done plowing this 20 acres and looked and didn't have his discharge papers in his back pocket. Now, this wasn't like back in the day, oh, you lose your birth certificate? No problem. Go to Vital Statistics. Go to DMV if you're from Virginia. You can get that. All that information is there. Nah. This is back in the day. That stuff was rare. It was like the Gutenberg Press or something, you know, printed off his papers. That was, it was a major loss. He was in a panic, didn't know what to do. And Graham said, well, let's just, let's just pray. Let's just pray. And she started walking. She, she showed me the place. They still have this field when she was alive. She said, we just walked. She said, I just walked. And she said, I got to a certain place, 20 acre field. Got to this one place and stopped. The Holy Spirit said, have him run the plow right down this, this uh, lane right here. He'd already plowed the whole field, so he'd turned over all of the dirt in this field. She said, have him hook the horse up right here and plow, down, plow this row. He plowed the row, and about halfway down, when he, when he ran down that row, the papers just rolled right up on top of the ground. Whoa. That's my grand story. It's her testimony. You know, she knew how to lean on the Lord for prayer. Can I tell you, every time my kids have ever lost anything, first thing my wife's going to do, well, let's just stop and pray. Let's just stop and pray. You know, Jesus knows where every lost thing is. 
even lost people. You might be lost, but he knows exactly where you are, and he wants you back. He's hunting you down. He's going to find you. He's going to find you. He is the good shepherd. He will stop what he's doing and go chase somebody down that's not where they need to be. But what's your story? What's your testimony? How, how do you declare, those, declare, declare the, Lord, the glory of the Lord in the midst of those things? It, this is how Abraham did it, and then we're going to get into the practical stuff. Genesis 12, I'll read this text to you. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Abraham was going in, in uh, direction by the direction that the Lord was given him. And as he walked, he'd stop, he'd build an altar and he'd worship and call on the name of the Lord. Daniel, if you want to release the, uh, the baptism candidates, now's a good time. How to change the atmosphere of your home. Let's go quickly. It starts with you. It's got to start with you. If things are not going the way they need to go in your house, don't look to anybody else but you. You change you. You do what you need to do, right? You, you say, you know what? I'm just going to draw a circle around myself and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord right here. A lot of problems happen in, in homes because we try to do in the flesh what, we, what can only be accomplished by the Spirit. Let's just pause and, and give them a hand. Can we do that? Woo! Yeah! We're looking forward. This is going to be a great time. So you change the atmosphere. You put yourself where you need to be. Concern yourself with you. Every, every marriage conflict I ever sit down, I sit down with a couple, I say, here's the deal. God's on the side of your marriage. You can't change your spouse. Some of them, that's all the revelation they need. But most people can't get that revelation because they've been trying so hard for so long. Let me fix that person. I know what they need. Honey, you can't fix you. What makes you think you can fix somebody else? God's been trying to fix you for a long time. Why don't you get in agreement with him? Ooh, I just cut the counseling load in half. <laughs> you worship the living God. You decide, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the Lord gave me breath, and I'm going to praise him with that breath. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord, right? So come on, just let's do it right now. Father, we just praise you right now. We thank you for the breath that's in our lungs. We give you praise with it right now. Lord, we're not gonna let another second go by. We're gonna give you praise right now. We're gonna exalt the name of Jesus. We're gonna push out the atmosphere in this room with praise. We're gonna worship the living God. Come on, am I the only one praising God right now? Come on, I wanna hear you. Worship the Lord. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Let's declare the lordship of the living God in this place. Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the only one. He is the living God. He is the one that has crushed the head of the devil. Hallelujah. Sickness and disease has no power. It has no authority in the kingdom. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. You know, we need to be people that affirm God as our ruler in our home, in our life, in our family. You need to walk through your house and sing. You know, sometimes you, you need to, when nobody else is around, you change the atmosphere when nobody's there. You walk around and you speak to those walls. You know what you're doing? You say, Pastor Ken, that's really weird. You're doing exactly what Abraham did. Abraham set out and he marked out the perimeter for the promised land hundreds of years before his children did, before his children ever entered in. I love the first chapters of Joshua because Joshua begins to, uh, begins to release the children of Israel to their property, to their land. And he said, your, your space is from here to here and from here to here and from here to here. And he goes through all 12 tribes, but they're inhabiting the space that Abraham had marked out by prayer and worship. Do you get that? Do you understand? If, if, it's not, if your family's not inheriting the promise, then maybe you're a patriarch or a matriarch like Abraham. And you're saying, you know what? I got to go mark that territory out. I got go, to go create the space for the dwelling of God. So you begin to talk to the walls. You walk the property around you, the outside. You declare the kingdom of God. You declare that Jesus is Lord. You don't know what's been going on in that property. Y'all are saying Pastor Ken's gone woo-woo on me. How many of you found that there were different behaviors in your kids when you moved into a different home? You, and you noticed that. You just noticed that. Well, our kids didn't act like this at the other house we were in. And you usually chalk it up to the fact that, okay, well, it's just different. It's a different location. It's different friends and whatever. You know what? The enemy can inhabit spaces. He's not omnipresent, but the enemy does live different places. You know, we don't, we, you say, well, that's weird. Well, I'm just Bible. This is Bible. Jesus cast out demons, right? This is Bible. How many demons? Well, I don't know. There was a guy who, who said that, that, that there were a legion of demons in one man. Whoa. How many is that? Well, a legion was a thousand. That's a mess. But when you and I worship we expand the territory of the presence of God. We don't leave a foothold for the enemy. Amen? Sing in every room and on different occasions. Here's one. Have communion in your home before major decisions or during occasional family gatherings. Some of y'all need to have communion after the election at Thanksgiving time to remind people about the kingship of Jesus. You say, oh, I'm not looking forward to that family gathering. Do something about it. Do something about it. And, and I don't mean come up with a better argument. I'm saying point to King Jesus. Right? Point to King Jesus. Have communion in your home during occasional family gatherings. Let your home be a testimony of what Jesus accomplishes with his, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection is lifted up. And pray meaningful table prayers as teaching tools for your kids. Sometimes when we come together, you know, it's all about the food and, and prayer is just what we do to get to the food. But you know what? If you would capture that time, my gram used to have a little promise box. Anybody remember the promise boxes? And, you know, and it was a little loaf of bread kind of thing, plastic loaf of bread thing. And you pull that and there was a promise, a scripture on there. And each of the kids would, you know, everybody in the family, it, you know, it was a practical way 
to make sure that the word of God was right there with your kids and that they were hearing the scriptures, you know. And a lot of the families that I encounter don't have family rituals. They don't have, uh, you know, we're, we're not really good with that word ritual, but they don't have family practices. We'll, we'll call it best practices. We'll call it family behaviors, you know. If, if all of your meals are, are eaten on the couch while you're looking at the television, that's not a good space. You need to get them back to the table, I, some of some of y'all, I can fix your uh, I can fix your finances at home too. Stop eating out all the time, and prepare a meal, and teach your kids how to prepare a meal, and and sit together and talk together, and and you know declare the goodness of God. There wasn't a fancy word that uh, you know some some big prophetic word in uh, that first passage that we read. Here was the prophetic word: the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. That brought the glory of God. The Lord is good. And his love endures forever. Say, Pastor Ken, I don't know a lot of the word. Can you say, the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. And then give three examples to your kids. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. Let me tell you about when I was 17 years old. And I had not a clue. Let me tell you about growing up in a divorced family and, and, uh, and, and, and every holiday being a crisis in my life. Let me tell you about that. Let me tell you what God did in my heart at 17 when I decided that I was going to follow Jesus and that I wasn't going to be a victim of my circumstance, a victim of my family upbringing. But in fact, I could follow the Lord and he could be my heavenly father. Let me tell you what God did in my life as a result of that. He put me together with a like-minded woman. Hallelujah. Thank God for a like-minded woman. And we began to walk together, and God showed us how to have a home together that honors Jesus and lifts up Jesus. And I've watched so many times where God had turned things around for I can tell you stories. I can tell you a story about a season in our life where, uh, where we had just sold a house and weren't, you know, we couldn't find a house that we could afford. And, and uh, God opened the door and we lived rent-free, utility-free in a bigger house than what we'd had before for six months. Grown family. How does that happen? Must have been God. You know, God wants to do a work in your life. He wants the testimony of your house to be the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. Gives your kids something to hang on to. Amen. Father, I just pray right now over my brothers and sisters. That Lord, we would not live as victims of our circumstances. But we would recognize, Lord, that you have called us to control the atmosphere. And you control the outcome. Lord, help us to be people that take seriously the walking through our house and the dedication of our homes and the dedication of the airspace in our homes that we could lift up the name of the Lord. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. Let it be our testimony, God, that your grace is much upon our families, that regardless of what is happening, every one of our homes, it could be the plagues happening around us, but like Israel got to live in the land of Goshen, Lord God, and so many things, were they were protected because they were in that land. God, there's so many things that were happening. Lord, I just thank you, God, that your provision is your presence. 
and you want your presence to abide with us. Father, we commit ourselves to being worshipers in our homes. Let your presence abide where we abide in the name of Jesus. Amen.